Last week, we talked about where have we come from and where are we going? And we got to this point, the people of the way, the Christians that sped, spread the message of Jesus Christ, which is Christ died for your sins, he was buried, he rose on the third day and was seen alive by hundreds of people. That kind of message spread like wildfire across the kingdom. And since it did, the Jewish authorities thought, oh my gosh, the religious leader said, what are we going to do? We need to cut this out. We need to snuff it out. And so they persecuted the church. And they did that for about three years until their main player, main scorer on their team, Saul, who became Paul, decided to switch sides because he was heavily recruited by Jesus on the road to Damascus. Then the people of the way, all the believers, Paul and the disciples set the world on fire. And here's how they did it. Here's the big reason why God answered one of the hardest questions that all religions have, and it's this. How do we have peace with God when we know we have not kept his laws? How do we do that? They've been asking it for centuries, and the Jews have been struggling with it for centuries. And now a guy by, G and by the name of Jesus comes, he dies for our sins and says, everybody gets Jesus. Everybody. Jews, Gentiles, Ethiopians, Egyptians, Samaritans, Baptists, <laughs> Hindus. They all get Jesus, every one of them. This is what Paul says in Romans 10, 13. All that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's everybody. And so the church grew. But as all organizations do, there started to be controversy. And so this is where the first split for the churches was fixing to come, okay? And since that time, churches, denominations have split here and there. As you know, the Methodist church may split as well, okay? This is where it all began, and this is so relevant for the modern church today, so relevant. It's the same controversy that maybe kept some of you away as children or your parents away. Or maybe it's because, and if you're on TV land with us today, maybe it's because uh, this reason you don't come to church anymore, okay? Let's talk about it. This is the question, who should or who gets to be part of the church? Who gets to be part of the church? What do you have to do? How good do I have to be to do that? See, it's a question that goes back much further than our time. So this is what happened in the council at Jerusalem, verse one of chapter 15. When Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved. And the new believer said, well, okay, what's circumcision? They said, well, it's, it's a surgery. Really? Yeah. Like, like get your ear pierced? No, nah, it's a little lower than that. Um, and when they told him, their eyes got real big. And they said, wait, Paul said nothing about this. Okay? New member classes just became women and children, no men. All right? It's a big deal. I mean, seriously, when you're 40 years old, you come to know Christ. And so Paul and Barnabas went right up against them and, and, and argued with them 
and said, no, 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 this is not it. And so what happened was, in verse 2, Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them. And finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas and some other believers to Jerusalem, where the disciples and the elders were to get this thing straightened out. And so along the way, Paul and Barnabas are still talking to churches. They're still encouraging them and saying, the Gentiles are coming into the fold. Oh my God, that's great. And the Gentiles along the way are saying, we can join the Jesus Club? Yes, you can. Oh my gosh, what are y'all going to Jerusalem for? Well, there's this little thing that we got to talk about. Really, what is it? Well, it's, it's, some of the believers and they're Jewish think that you need to do something else besides. Well, we'll be happy to. What is it? Well, it's called circumcision. What's that? Then they told them, hold it. You've got to be kidding me. Now, that's what we're going to do in Jerusalem, straighten that out. So they went to Jerusalem and they arrived in Jerusalem. Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, the disciples and the elders, and they reported everything that God had done through them. Now, in verse five is something I forget every time, and I, feel, I have to read it again because I forget this, and you, you might have missed it too. This is what it says. But then some of the believers who belong to the sect of Pharisees. What? Yes. Nobody knew the law and the Torah better than Pharisees, Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the council, the religious council of the Jewish faith. And, and see, here's the difference between Pharisees and Sadducees, because I don't ever see Sadducees being in this. The reason why is because Pharisees believed in eternal life, life after death. The Sadducees did not. That's why they're Sadducee. God, the first group didn't get it at all. Fantastic. No, the Pharisees, some of them that knew the law said, we can't deny it. You're right, Jesus is the Christ. But here's the problem. They thought that Christianity and Jesus was just an extension of the Jewish faith. And it's not. No, it's a whole new ball game. But it makes sense that they believed that. It makes sense. Because you see, this happens in every organization, every corporation, small business, school, government, churches. Because see, what happens is, is those on the inside who had control and power think, oh my God, if we open this up, what's going to happen to us? It's a fair question. For thousands of years, the Jews had had traditions. Has anybody seen Fiddler on the Roof? Oh God, I tell you what, I just, yeah, yeah. I just aged you as well as me. But my son did too over here. He's, he's 19, so that's, that's okay. But in that story, Tavia, who is a poor, a milkman, has four or five dollars. And he says, and I love him in this. You should see the movie. It talks a lot about the Jewish culture. And he says, how do we keep this balance between us and our community and our God? Well, it's tradition, tradition. And he sings that song. It makes sense that the Jews were saying, okay, this is all new. We get it. We want to be involved. But, but gosh, what's going to happen to us? And this is when they said this. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. Really? 613 laws. And this is what we do. We start putting parameters around things. We want grace and truth, but we get messed up on the truth part. 
and we start making it in our own image. This is what John 1.14 says, the Word became flesh and lived among us. That means Jesus came down. We have seen His glory and the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus didn't have a conflict with grace and truth. He embodied it, but we do. And here's the reason why. We define truth in our own understanding, and the definition normally fits me. That's how we define who gets to come to church. That's the truth. We, we need to define it in a way that, that we have some parameters around it. And in Acts 15, Peter stands up and said, God who knows the heart. And that's the difference between us and God. He knows the heart. Showed that he accepted the Gentiles by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. We don't know the heart. We only know what we see, what we hear. We see behavior. We see dress. We see tattoos. Okay, we do. We hear music. We see the people on our street that don't mow their lawns. I'm guilty of that. We see people in our neighborhood that park on the street instead of in their driveways. I mean, park in your driveway. We don't know. Yeah, them too. That, yeah, see, you know it. Yeah, that's right. Gets on my nerves. But, but we don't see the heart. So this is what Peter said. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors could bear. Ouch, that hurts. On our staff we say, ouch, that helps because this needed to be said, not only for the Gentiles, for the Jews, they couldn't do it either. And for centuries they'd try to. No, we believe it is through the grace of the Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Now, let's break it down. What's Peter really saying? This is Troy version, but we're going to roll with this some morning because I'm up here and I got the mic. Here's what I think he's saying. God can purify your heart before you fix your marriage. He can purify your heart before you quit your bad habits or curb your language. God can purify your heart as you deal with insecurities that drive you into behaviors that are shameful. God can purify your heart before you fix your life. And if God can do it for you, he can do it for someone else. I remember I had a lawyer friend, well, still do. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, very successful, wealthy, good looking, got it all. He'd been in my group for two or three years. And uh, finally one day at coffee, is just he and I said, listen, uh, have you ever really made a decision for Christ? It's, just, it's personal, but I, I just, you know, as one of your kind of mentors and stuff, I want to know. And he said, well, Troy, let me tell you how that works. See, I'm going to get my life better and get things fixed before I come to God. And, 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 and when I have time to do that, that's when I'm going to do it. And I didn't have the heart to tell him it's never going to happen. There's nothing you can do to accept the gift of God that you can't pay for. 
If anybody could pay for it, Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, if anybody could do it, Christ died in vain. No, we can't do it. That's why God had a new plan. So finally, the brother of, James, uh, the brother of Jesus, James, stands up. And, and, and he's going he's gonna to give a little speech here too. And you might say, well, Troy, you know, James is Jesus' brother. He's kind of invested in it, so he's going to say something good about him. Let's not go too far on that. Let's be honest. How many of you have a brother or sister? Okay, good. That's good. What would your brother have to do to convince you that he's God? Yeah, me too. Me too. My brother, who is 17 years younger, thinks that I hung the moon. But I promise you, he'd say, he ain't God. No, the best evidence that Jesus Christ was who he said he was, was a sibling that know us better than our parents do. Because we know what we've done. Always makes you want to kind of get James aside and say, okay, I know Jesus is the Savior and all, but you know, when he was 10, did he, you know, make Mary mad? Come on, give us a scoop, you know? No, it's the best evidence that Jesus was who he said he was. And he said, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Don't make it difficult. Don't put these boundaries and parameters around it where people think I can't join. So here's what we're going to do. Number one, he said, stay away from food offered to idols and animals strangled in blood and stuff like that. What was he saying really? Do they really care about them doing that? No. They said that because they did, they're saying, don't offend your Jewish brothers and sisters. This is very sensitive to them. So don't do that. Let's get along. And number two, stay away from sexual immorality. Well, would you define that? No, I'm not going to define it. Just stay away from that. And the guy writing this down says, okay, what's number three? That's it. That's it. That's it. Don't make it difficult. And this is the letter that went back from Jerusalem all the way to Antioch and all the little churches on the way. And they're all sitting there waiting. What's the letter going to say? What's the letter going to say? You know, what do we have to do? And the guy's sitting there saying, surgery, no surgery, surgery, no surgery. Yeah. No surgery. Hallelujah. And they were all encouraged. But here's the great thing for the Jews. If the Gentiles get a break, guess what? So do they. And a new life is formed within them. Something that's never happened before. And Jesus starts to invade the very culture. So in the end, the church dodged its first big split way back there in Jerusalem. So here's three things. I think St. Andrews needs to consider. And I can say this because I don't have to preach next week. Yeah. Don't drift toward insiders and away from outsiders. You see, people never call me or Michael to complain that don't go here. Never do. People that don't go here, they don't call me for an appointment to talk about their lives or to talk about programs of the church. As a matter of fact, people that don't go here don't call me at all. They simply ignore me and us. And guess what? We ignore them too. We end up taking care of people inside of the church. Why? Because y'all come, you pay the bills, you do the work, it's natural. And if Satan had it his way, that's exactly what he'd want. He'd want us to get big and satisfied. You bet, the best children's ministry, the best student ministry, the best uh, worship band, 
pretty good preaching. Okay? And we'd, we'd make these policies and just send them in form and say, if you can believe these things, you, we'd, we'd be glad to have you. Jesus says, no. Nope. We've got to pray to be bold and to be the embodiment of truth and grace, not one or the other. Number two, don't drift towards law and away from grace. Too many policies, too many categories. Gentiles, you keep the law of Moses. We can't do it, but y'all do it. Can you see Jesus and his disciples uh, are, are the, the, the very first ones he got, and, and they're walking along in the, by the, the seashore there, and, and there's all kinds of activity and vendors and stuff, and there they see a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector, and everybody hated Jewish tax collectors. Why? Because they took taxes for Rome and then lined their own pockets. And so Matthew sat in there, and Jesus walks up and says, hey, Matthew, come and follow me. And Peter's over here going, whoa, 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 category, category, tax collector, tax collector. Shh, Peter, be quiet. Come follow me, Matthew. Whoa, whoa, policy, policy. He's got to quit being a tax collector first. And then, shh, be quiet, Peter. We're going to let these guys into our ranks, yes. And then we're going to go talk to Zacchaeus. Oh, my God. And then we're going to go talk to a lady that committed adultery. And then, and then, no. We're going to have conversations about grace. That's what we're going to do. Romans 5.20, when the law came into the picture, sin grew and grew. It just got huge. Why? Because we're sinful people. But wherever sin grew and spread, God's grace was there in fuller, greater measure. No matter how much sin crept in, there was always more grace. I grew up Baptist, everybody knows that. And, well, most everybody, well, now you do. And, and you know, we, we always thought Methodists didn't know what they believed because they were kind of wishy-washy. Yeah, we'd say, you Methodists, y'all drink. And Methodists would say, yeah, we drink, but we don't lie about it, okay? <laughs> and that kind of hurt me. So, so I remember being at Hardin-Simmons. It's a, it's a Hardin-Simmons Baptist, and down the road was McMurray, which is Methodist, and we loved, that's in Abilene, and we, we love those people too, but we kind of get into it sometimes, and we'd say, you guys stimulate the lust of the flesh because you dance. And they said, yeah, and y'all have hayrides. Who would rather have a hayride? Yeah. No. We do it to each other, categories, policies, they're easy. Send them a form instead of having a conversation about grace. It's hard and it's messy and you say, Troy, why would we do it then? Because Jesus did it for you. And if Jesus does it, so should the church. Number three, don't drift toward preserving and protecting rather than advancing the kingdom of God. Four years ago, St. Andrews could risk almost everything because they didn't have anything. <laughs> But through risk and faith in God, it moved forward. But when we get bigger, new offices, new playground, new staff, we have a tendency to protect, protect, protect. And that's what the Jews did. Protect the religion, protect the traditions, protect the laws. But Jesus said, we must advance the kingdom of God even when it gets risky. We must love people even when they're unlovable. And we have to not let our desire to preserve and protect what we have override our mission and passion to advance the kingdom. So you say, Troy, how do you do that? Let's take number one. Don't drift toward insiders and away from outsiders. You've got to be bold. 
that helps you from being insider focus. Be bold in your Christian life. Remember that even though you're not perfect and never will be on this planet, your life is extraordinary like I told you last week. And your life has an extraordinary impact on people around you. You don't bring them because they're perfect, they're not. You bring them to meet the one who is perfect. Be bold. Number two, don't drift toward law and away from grace. Err on the side of grace, always on the side of grace. Yeah, but, but, but to be truthful, no, no, grace. This will be harder and harder as time goes on. It really will. Why do this? Because Jesus did it for you. How many times do I forgive? Seven? No, seven times 70 or a number you can't even count, Jesus said. Err on the side of grace. Number three, don't drift toward preserving or protecting what you have. How do you stop that? Continue to take big risk. Does St. Andrews have a lot more to risk than it did four years ago? You bet your boots it does, but your potential has never been greater than right now. Don't drift toward the church that just preserves and protects. Be bold and advance in the kingdom of God. I wanna leave you with this this scripture. It's in Colossians 1, 6. And if you can't remember, ask me during the week because it's one I'm trying to live my life by for sure. It says this, this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere and it's changing lives. Just as it changed your life from the day that you first heard it and understood what? You heard and understood this, the truth about God's wonderful grace. If you want to talk about truth, do it in this way. Talk about the truth of God's wonderful grace. I love you, St. Andrews. It's been a pleasure. It's been an honor to serve God with you. And as I leave you, St. Andrews, I just have one question. Where have you come from? Where are you going? Love you, boy. <laughs>